Welcome to the Pest Web Podcast, where we talk about the products and strategies pest control professionals are using to earn customers and grow. Each episode, we sit down with industry experts to bring you business tips, market trends, and technical information you can use. It's a fresh perspective on what it takes to succeed in pest control. Maximize ant control with MGK's all-new Sumari system. This targeted attract-and-kill approach reaches deep into the colony, delivering faster and more thorough control. Sumari makes ant control simple, deadly simple. Visit mgk.com slash Sumari system to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PestWeb Podcast. I'm Andrew Asir, Senior Marketing Manager with Viserys. In today's episode, we'll be joined by Dan Gordon, CPA. He's been in the industry for over 20 years, and uh, we'll be bringing along with him a unique perspective, something that we haven't really talked about much in the last few episodes, where we spent more time talking about extending your reach into new services and more technical matters, which I always leave to to Aaron Monteagudo, our, our technical expert. We'll be sitting down with Dan and really just talking through what does it take to run your business and to look at it from a financial perspective? You know, things like, how do I build for route efficiency? What's the big deal with the P&L if I'm not a quote unquote P&L guy? Why is cash flow important in this current environment? I want to sell my business. What are some of the key considerations? Or perhaps you're somebody who is looking to grow your business and have lots of opportunity, but are also looking at, well, how do I fund that growth? Dan's going to bring his perspective in. And so I'm excited to talk to him a bit about Dan. um, As I mentioned, he's been in the industry for over 20 years and has actually uh, started, owned and operated a couple of pest management firms uh, and then sold them. And so his company not only provides accounting services, but also M&A services. And they are very busy these days. So, Dan, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be here. So we've got a lot of questions, and uh, I will try to be uh, uh, get through these as quickly as we can. But I know that um, there's other resources that folks can go to. So we'll make sure to uh, address that as well in terms of um, what your company provides. Uh, but just right out of the gate, what, why, why do you see it as important that, um, as a PMP, as an operator, um, that that I would understand and and really look at my business from a, a financial perspective to start with? So, I once had an accounting professor who was kind of an interesting guy, and he, uh, the way he explained it, and and this will always stay with me, is. Looking at your finances or looking at financial statements are like looking at the box score of your favorite team, right? So if you're, you know, a baseball or football fan, you, you check the box score after the game and whatnot and, and see how you did. And that was a long time ago and, and probably well before fantasy football and fantasy baseball. And so what you have is now you have this online perspective or this real time perspective, but you're constantly checking the box score, right? So, um, you know, the box score basically tells you, are you making money? Uh, it tells you who your uh, good players are and what they're doing. 
right? So those aren't that's that's not your PL and balance sheet, but those are your operational reports that you get out of your routing software and whatnot. Um, and then you you know, it, it's basically you play against yourself or you play against other players in the industry. Um, you know, we, we did a cost study a long time ago. Actually, it wasn't that long ago. It was a couple of years ago, but it's still very relevant. And you can pick it up on our website. It's pcobookkeepers.com. And basically what it is, is we took about 150 uh, companies and um, put them together, divided by 150, came up with a sample company and said, okay, this is what the average company spends on labor. This is what the average company spends on marketing, on office uh, um, um, expenses, on CSRs, that kind of thing. And so when you're creating this box score, you're able to look at how you're doing against your past results, but you're also able to look at it, um, you know, uh, uh, how you're doing against the rest of the industry. And obviously, you know, if you're in business, your your objective is to grow and to uh, be as profitable as possible. So that's, you know, uh, I think in a nutshell, why it's real important to look at those um, financials. Are there any key statements that you, you know, when you're engaging a client that uh, you that will tell you pretty quickly how the health of the organization is? Yeah, so so a balance sheet and a PL kind of work hand in hand. So uh, I had a prospect uh, not too long ago say, I'm a PL guy, I'm not a balance sheet guy. Well, nothing could be further from <laughs> reality, right? Because if yeah. your balance sheet is bad, your PL is probably bad. So you got to make right. sure they, 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 uh, your balance sheet basically shows what you have, your PL shows how you did for a time period. And when I say what you have, so, you know, from the beginning, you put some money into the business and, and you record that as a capital contribution and you buy trucks. So those are assets and you take truck loans and those are liabilities and whatnot. But beyond that, uh, you know, the assets, liabilities and the equity. So that the, the difference between the assets and what you owe is your equity. It's there's a huge distinction between your net worth and your equity. A lot of people think your equity is your net worth. It has nothing to do with it, but it's basically the difference between what you uh, purchased assets for and uh, what you owe on those assets. That's that's your owner's equity. The reason that I say that it, it has nothing to do with it is because your largest asset that you have you build, it's your customer list, and that's not on your balance sheet unless maybe you made an acquisition and purchased mm -hmm. the customer list, but that's the biggest asset um, that, that goes uh, on your balance sheet. So it's really important that you understand that, that they work in conjunction with each other. And so what happens is at the end of a period, say the end of the year, you close your P&L out to your balance sheet. So there's actually a line item uh, in the equity where if you made uh, income, then you're going to increase your equity. If you took a loss, then you're going to decrease your equity. Um, and then during the year, if you want to uh, take distributions from your equity, then uh, that uh, comes out of there. So, so that balance sheet kind of says, what do I have, right? And it's kind of catalog from the beginning of um, what you put into the business, what you took out of the business, and what you made from the business. Yeah. There's a number of operators that just absolutely are not comfortable with having any debt whatsoever. And just in our industry, um, do you see that there's an optimal 
kind of ratio or balance from that standpoint, certainly in this type of rate environment, um, th there could be some opportunities, but anything from the, the debt side of things that, that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all depends on how you sleep, right? Um, you <laughs> sure. Exactly what you said. They won't take a dime of debt. All their trucks are paid for, everything, you know, and they make a decent living, right? Because they don't have it, this interest and in, in, in principle that they have to affect their cash flow from. So, but it's very difficult to grow if you're putting all your money, if you're buying all your assets, because you can't put that money into marketing or expansion, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, on the other side, um, you know, we work with um, a lot of companies that are private equity uh, backed, a lot of door to door companies. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these door to door companies, they uh, uh, bring in private money or uh, go into debt in order to expand their business. Right. And, um, you know, if you want to expand quickly, um, you're you're going to do it and you're going to sacrifice your profitability right so you got to figure out how to borrow that money now it, it it's kind of interesting so the, the question is uh what are you comfortable with what's your risk tolerance mm -hmm. you really have to get comfortable with that some people can sleep at night with lots and lots of debt and almost um you know no clear-cut plan on how to pay it back other than to run real hard and yeah. others are just you know totally freaked out when it comes to debt. It, it, it's almost like a, an investment portfolio. Yeah. You're going to have some folks that just, uh, you know, bonds, very bond heavy and others that are stock or looking at uh, now certainly uh, cryptocurrency and other things, precious metals and what have you. Um, it sounds like it really is a kind of a, a mindset. It is. And, and if, if, if you've ever been to the gym or when you were younger and you go to the gym, right, you work out and you build your muscles. And so what you do as you're, you go through your business journey, you build your risk tolerance muscles, right? And step out of the box that you're comfortable in. I don't mean go out and borrow a ton of money and leverage up the company, but mm -hmm. comfortable with debt, borrow a little, see what happens. Maybe borrow a little bit more. Right. Because at the end of the day, you, you know, you can become extremely profitable with no debt. OK. And um, if your uh, income exceeds what your needs are, um, you know, you've got all this cash and you would otherwise pay taxes on that. But you could take that cash and invest it in marketing and expansion, which is a deduction. So therefore, um, you know, you're, you're able to grow your business. But usually you do it with debt. But do it carefully and build those risk tolerance muscles. That's 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 the key. That's a great point. And you know, you, you mentioned cash, and certainly one of the statements that folks look at and um, you know that are aware that people are aware of is especially if they're growing, right? So I've heard from some folks that you know my only problem is that we're growing too fast, right? And so I guess the question is. What, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, how that could potentially eat up cash if you are um, in a, an acquisitive mode or even just with routes? What are some of the kind of, you know, certainly business growth is key, but what are some of the you know, considerations that you're seeing as it relates to just cash and fueling that growth? Yeah, I think planning is, is paramount, right? You got to have a plan that, that you execute on. What you don't want to do is put a bunch of advertising out there, wait for the phone to ring and not have it all figured out how you're going to 
address all of that business because that's that's a recipe for disaster, right? So you got to have a plan. You got to understand, okay, I'm going to spend this much on marketing, which should get me this many leads, which should convert into this many sales. I have a book of business and each technician can handle a certain amount of revenue. Uh, I'm projecting this amount of revenue, so therefore I need this many technicians. If I have this many technicians, I have to have this many trucks, and so on and so forth, right? So it's all about the plan because what happens in pest control, uh, especially, you know, I mean, even if you're in a warm weather state, it's still seasonal. And the spring Mm -hmm. is the World Series, right? And things go wrong. Business is a messy game, right? It, it's funny because you've, you've got uh, some people who think that everything should be predictable and, you know, in, in a neat, tidy little uh, bucket, but it, it's not. The, you know, business is a messy game, but you've got to have a plan to, um, to push it forward or otherwise you could, you know, literally go bankrupt getting rich, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it certainly seems that that sometimes you know the expression victim of your own success and you talk about building a plan and and how you've described it breaking it down all the way down to the technician and route level um you know what what have you seen have been you know is is a good planning cycle every year a three-year plan uh what what's the cadence for something like that so a three-year plan is terrific a five-year plan is terrific but what we do with our clients pretty much is we have a one-year budget, mm-hmm. which is extremely detailed. Um, we do that for a bunch of clients. Uh, we usually do it uh, right around November for the next year. Um, and then, you know, further out, you you want to say, okay, well, I want to grow by 10, 15, 20% or whatever. But you're, the further out that you get, the less accurate you can be with the budget because it's based on what happens this year, right? Sure. So, so in doing that budget, that's an interesting one. So budgeting for pest control is probably easier than most other businesses. How so? Yeah, the reason is because of the recurring nature of what we do. So basically, if I look at most routing software, you know, pest back service, pest routes, all of those different uh, routing softwares, there's reports that kind of say, okay, here's what you have in route work. If you don't sell another thing and if you don't lose another customer, this is what you'll do uh, next month and the month after, and, you know, so for the next year. So what we're able to do is we're able to say, okay, well, you know, if your signature service is quarterlies and then you got a bunch of commercial work and then maybe some termite renewals, we are able to understand by month what you're going to bring in. To that, we then apply an attrition rate. So maybe 15% attrition, 15 to 18% attrition. So let's say we're going to do a million dollars or it says we're going to do a million dollars. Then we take 150 to 180,000 off, right? And let's say that we want to grow 10%. So we got to get to a million one. So now what I have to do is I have to sell either 250 or $280,000, right? I have to make up the attrition and then I have to add the other 10%. And once we do that, and once we get good at that, um, and usually our first year we, we, we stub our toes because, you know, sometimes the owners aren't used to it. But after a while, we get within 2 or 3% of budget. So once, wow. you have, yeah. Yeah, once you have that revenue budget, the rest is a puzzle. 
you know, this is how much revenue I'm going to do. This is how many techs I need. This is how many trucks I need, you know, right back to, to where we were, um, you know, with our discussion a few minutes ago. And, you know, uh, Stephen Covey always talked about begin with the end in mind. It certainly seems like that's, that's a great place to start where, you know, where do you want to be in a year's time? And if you can get to a three-year, you know, plan even better, and certainly with a lot of, um, cross-sell and cross-service, right? If a technician's already calling uh, on, on a you know, residential customer and they talk about turf uh, issues while they're already doing the inside of the house, it makes sense to go ahead and you know, offer that up. Um, one of the questions we hear a lot is, well, how do I price that? If I'm going to you know, add on a mosquito service or if I'm going to do wildlife management, um, is there is there a simple an easy formula? Uh, <laughs> how how do you propose that to, to your clients? Yeah, there actually is. That's the beauty of pest control, right? We're not in the manufacturing business, although I like to say we manufacture hours of technician time. So there, you know, our um, you know, what does it cost to go into to, to, to create an hour of pest control? Well, you've got uh, your, uh, um, you know, the wage that you pay your technician and the payroll taxes and his health insurance. And you got, you know, his vehicle and, you know, the fuel and his uniform and, you, you know, divide that by the number of hours. And then you've got the materials, right? And the materials are not that expensive compared to manufacturing, right? So, you know, that, that, um, um, you know, and and what's kind of interesting is that um, uh, a lot of uh, companies will beat up their chemical vendors, right? But chemicals in general, pest control, five, six, seven percent, right? Everything is labor, right? If you can save labor, that's where you're going to make money. By saving 10 percent on my chemical costs, if that's six percent, well, that becomes 0.6 percent of my revenue, which it's not a big impact. Yeah, Dan, I appreciate you say that. I mean, it, it kind of is the 80-20 rule to a certain degree, right? Where is your largest expense? And if that's in vehicles and labor. Yeah. So, so it's all in, in, um, you know, in the labor. So you're, 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 you're trying to do that, but, but then, um, you know, sometimes I'll get clients uh, or new prospective clients who will say, okay, we're going to uh, hire a sales guy and I want to give him a commission on the profit of each job, right? So if you're building houses, then you job cost it, right? So we say, okay, this is the job and I'm going to apply all my expenses and, and I do a mini P&L on that house, right? But if you're doing quarterly home service for a hundred bucks a shot, you don't do that, right? It, it, it would be too cumbersome and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what you have to do is you have to understand that you sell time right? It's the time to take care of the customer's problem. And it's the time to retreat the customer's problem on average. How many retreats are you going to do? So in other words, I do quarterly service and maybe I do one and a half retreats a year. So that's, you know, five and a half uh, uh, hours if, if that's what it is, right? And so I have, and then I apply my hourly rate to that. And the hourly rate is something that everybody has to figure out. But just remember that, you know, you're looking for um, labor usually in that 20 to 25% range. So in other words, if you're paying your technician 20 bucks an hour, well, then you probably want to get a hundred dollars an hour, right? You know, so, so, um, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't really like to throw out numbers because, um, 
you know, uh, people get nervous about uh, when you throw out numbers and everybody charges the same thing, right? But what I like to do is say, you got to figure it out. And we actually have a couple of videos on our website. It's pcobookkeepers.com that show you how to figure out what that hourly rate should be. But um, I, what I definitely discourage is trying to figure out what all the chemicals cost in that hourly rate. Just include them at the five or 6%. Now, termite work is different because your termite asides and, and your baits are cost more and lawn care is more because that those, uh, uh, you know, those, the, those materials are more too, but, but think of it, keep it really, really simple. That's the beauty of this industry. That's why you've got all of these people who are attracted to the industry because of its simplicity. Yeah. Understanding, you know, the, the keys to effective routing, uh, certainly makes sense. I mean, heck, even when I'm just driving around town, if I can, you know, be in the same neck of the woods uh, to to knock out a few errands, that's that's preferred versus bouncing around. Um, is there a formula for that? I mean, there's software out there that helps calculate that, but what are some of the considerations that you see? So there's 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 two things that dictate that, right? There's prout price and route efficiency, right? So if I'm at $100 an hour and um, my technician is on the job 60% of the time and driving 40% of the time, I'm bringing back $60 an hour, right? If I charge $200 an hour, now all of a sudden I'm bringing back $120 an hour at that same route efficiency. So route efficiency and pricing work hand in hand, right? It's not always easy to raise prices because you're in a competitive environment. But if you can increase route density, that's that's why these door-to-door companies, their gross margins are off the charts high because if they can blanket a neighborhood, that, that makes it really um, efficient. But the one thing that I, I would do, uh, you know, and this is hard for a beginning entrepreneur to do, is to turn away business, right? You may have a $500 stop that's two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? You're never going to make money. Even if it was $1,000, you wouldn't make money, right? So. Yeah, that is tough. And I, I think that's a great point, though, because we've, you know, we've heard from folks that, you know, sometimes there's a, there's certain accounts. They're problem accounts. They have a habitual, you know, cockroach infestation. They they just can't get with the program, particularly if it's a commercial kitchen or what have you. And and you know, at some point, you just have to let those accounts go. Um, which you know, at first seems like, oh no, I can't do that. But uh, to your point, understanding if it is a, how did you say a, a, you're you're looking at a manufacturer of time, like really treating it that way. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, if, if, if you were in a manufacturing operation, you have to say, okay, well, what is my product? My product is one hour of time. Um, and we happen to be in pest control. If you're a doctor, it's, you know, one hour of doctoring. If you're an accountant, it's one hour of accounting, right? So you're in the, in the time business. So now what does it take? How do you manufacture an hour? Well, if you pay a technician 20 bucks an hour and you give them, you know, you have to pay payroll taxes and give them health insurance, and then you have to have a vehicle for them and you have to put a uniform on them and all of these different things. These are the, the inputs that go into the time. And usually what we see best in class, so what, what we call gross margin, which is an extremely important KPI, that's your revenue minus the cost associated with delivering the service. That's not your marketing. That's not your sales. That's not your office. That's all the costs that happen on the road. 
And usually, so, you know, that, that would be uh, technician labor, chemicals, vehicle costs, you know, like lease, vehicle lease and insurance and fuel and all that kind of thing. And usually what we like to see is that the revenue minus those direct costs give you a gross margin of about 50 to 55 percent that is then used to pay for your marketing, your sales and your fixed costs or your office costs. It's really a, a great way to look at it. And I think for folks that are you know, starting out on their own because this is such an entrepreneurial industry. Um, so some key key things to consider. If you have been in the industry, and let's say it is a, uh, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, if you decide to sell your business or merge or that kind of thing. But if you've been in the industry for a number of years, maybe you're you're quite satisfied from a geography standpoint that you're not necessarily interested in growing per se. Um, have you run across other companies that are like, no, we just want to really provide excellent customer service and we're happy with X number of routes? Or is that more the exception than the rule? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. You, you, there's, there's different personality types, right? Um, what we see is that the guy who is a perfectionist has a difficult time growing his business because he can't accept mediocrity from his technicians. But if you grow big enough, your technicians are going to look like the general population. General population is not a bunch of perfectionists, right? So what you have to have is tight processes and procedures so that you can do the best you can. But if you're a total perfectionist, you probably won't grow. You'll be doing your own route and with maybe you know one or two other people and you won't grow. You'll be extremely profitable. By the way, if I were buying pest control, that's the guy I'd buy it from. Mm-hmm. But then you have the sales oriented folks who just, you know, depending on how sales oriented they are, they just, you know, they they run quickly and they, they're able to scale their businesses, but they have to be able to accept mediocrity might be the wrong word. They have to accept um, that people will not do the job exactly the way you would want. Sure. And, and I think it goes to what, what you discussed earlier. If you have kind of a protocol in place and generally people play within that box and you've got that kind of sales growth mindset, then, then it's achievable. But if you are, if I heard you correctly, if you are really focused on just making sure that everything is clean and tidy and perfect, that may be that may be a challenge. Well, that it depends on what your stress level looks like, right? So some people get very stressed when things are disorganized or you know you've got chaos going on. Growing a business is chaotic. So if that's not your comfort zone, there's two ways to make money in pest control. Stay small or get big. It's when you're going from that, you know, 300,000 to a million, that's a brutal zone right there because you need supervisors, but you can't afford them, you know, that kind of thing. But once you get up to a million, that's, that, that's when you start to make money again. But if you have one or two, uh, uh, you know, guys who are in business or gals running a route, doing all the bookkeeping, um, you know, doing the purchasing, you can make a great living keeping it really small. Now, if the, your ultimate goal is to, when you retire, to sell your business, you're not going to sell that business for very much because, you know, obviously the bigger, the more profitable, you know, obviously you're profitable, but the bigger the business, the more you're going to get from that business. Upon yes. Itself. That, you know, that's a great point that, uh, you know, 
depending on what your goals are, growth may not be um, the be all end all. You may be absolutely happy with just servicing your customers and keeping that rapport and, you know, just having those relationships in the communities that you're that you're working and serving. So uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. And when you engage clients, what, what are you seeing? What are some of the trends in terms of, you know, these companies in our industry? It's always fascinating to me. So, so it's interesting. So, you know, we have PCO Bookkeepers, which is an accounting uh, firm for pest control companies. And we also have P- PCO M&A specialists. Uh, the website is sellmypcobusiness.com. Um, we did over $100 million in transactions last year. It's it, We're recording right now on May 5th or May 4th, and we've got about $150 million in the till. To, to go. So wow. it's a very, very hot market. And hopefully, you know, we, we, we work with our clients to get the price, best prices they can. But you say, well, why is it, why, why is it so robust right now? There's a couple things going on. Interest rates are low. So that means that acquirers can pay more because their cost of capital is less. But what's really driving right now, it, it's given it a further uh, boost, is the fact that President Biden basically said that he wants to eliminate long-term capital gains for anybody who uh, makes over a million dollars. So you say, well, I don't make over a million dollars. That's not a problem. But when you sell your business that year, you should be, uh, you know, if, if you have a decent sized business, you will make over a million dollars, in which case your uh, capital gain rate, which is currently at about 20% maximum, you know, marginally, uh, will go to 39.6%. Essentially, if you sell your company for a million dollars, under the current law, you would pay $200,000 of federal taxes plus your state taxes. Under the the, the proposal, you would pay $396,000. Uh, and that is what's driving a lot of the activity uh, and will drive it for the rest of the year. Um, if, 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 if you have a 10 or more year runway to go, I would say you stay in, you can build a business. You'll probably make a lot more money than whatever the extra taxes are, um, as, as well as, um, you know, you'll be making money over the 10 years. If your runway is three years or so, if you're in your late fifties, early sixties, you might want to think about, um, either, uh, transitioning to, you know, selling doesn't always mean to, to, to one of the big, uh, uh, you know, outfits or private equity it could be to your kids, right? But you may want to think about it if, if that's, you know, uh, your age uh, and you're, you're thinking about, um, you know, three, four years. Uh, right now is probably a good time because taxes are going up. You can't just throw this kind of stimuli into the economy and expect it to, to be for free. Somebody's got to pay for it. So, so that's what, what um, if you had let's say top three considerations if if uh i were looking to sell my business what would be the you know kind of things that you would say top of mind for somebody that wants to sell top three so the first one would be what's your growth look like year over year that's a good thing right Mm -hmm. so you got to have some size but you know if you're growing and not um staying flat or going backwards. Um, so if you're growing 10% or so, that, that's a good thing. The next thing is free cash flow to 
ownership. A lot of people call it EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. I call it free cash flow because you also have to add back personal items that go through the company. I know your company, you probably don't do that, but some of our clients put personal, you know, the, the spouse's car, their gas, that thing. So it's cash flow to owner, and that should be roughly around 20%. And then recurring to non-recurring, probably the single most important thing. So, you know, usually the best in class companies are doing 75 to 80% recurring to non-recurring. Um, and so those are the three things growth, cash flow, and recurring to non-recurring ratio. All right. We're going to pivot now to potential um, a merger. Uh, and I've seen acquisitions, um, but before we get to acquisitions, just does that even happen? Do you have just a, I mean, we've got certainly service partnerships, um, you know, whether it's uh, supporting or servicing large, uh, you know, retail or um, restaurant chains and that kind of thing. But do you see any mergers? Uh, you know, you see local companies, guys who will get together. But like, you know, if, if you're going to sell to one of the big guys, you're going to sell to them. They're not going to merge with you. However, in order to keep it palatable to their customers, they'll say it's a merger, but it's not really a merger. There's not a ton of that going on, but there, there is some, you know, um, but it's it's not like the big boys or the private equity firms are merging with anyone. Well, then let's turn to um, acquisitions. What are, would you say, top three? Uh, you're growing possibly into a, a, a super regional or even in the state uh, and you're expanding into a new market. What are, would you say, three considerations if you're in a, uh, acquisition mode? Honestly, if I owned a pest control company that had some size to it, I probably I, I would dabble and, and, and look at the acquisition market. But I you don't want to get in front of a freight train right now. Valuations are so high that I don't know that I would be in the market, even though I handle sell side transactions all day long and, and we do lots of them. I don't know that I would be on the buy side. Occasionally, you'll get a smaller company who you can buy at the right price because for whatever reason, um, we run mm-hmm. companies who would never sell to the big boys because they co- they competed against them the whole career. And yeah. there's, you know, there's no way. That's a guy that you want to buy, right? Um, usually, companies that are picked over uh, by the big guys and not purchased by them, there's a problem. So um, you might not want to get involved with them. I'm not sure that I would be a buyer of pest control companies right now. I would definitely be a seller, though. Um, But, you know, uh, the economy, uh, you know, ebbs and flows and and that could flip. But uh, right now, valuations are extremely high. Well, Dan, this has been super helpful and uh, would certainly love to have you come back and uh, break it down for us uh, some more. Um, Really uh, appreciate your time and as we um, as we close out this episode, uh, any final thoughts, and then just uh, additional resources where folks can go to to get more help. Yeah, final thoughts is you're in the right place at the right time. This is an amazing industry. I've been in it for over 25 years. It's been really really kind to my 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 family and and I and and, and what we have and. And so very thankful for such a terrific industry. Um, and that's why we like to get back. So our thought leadership, um, it, you can see it on our website. It's pcobookkeepers.com 
or sellmypcobusiness.com. And we also have a webcast. It's called the PMP uh, Business Insiders. And uh, I, I uh, collaborate with a guy named Donnie Shelton, who owns a digital agency called uh, Cole March. And, and we host that and we have some pretty cool guests on it. So, um, you know, any uh, there's, there's no charge for any of this stuff and, um, definitely, uh, take advantage of it. And if you need any help, by all means, give us a ring. Well, Dan, thank you again. And, uh, folks, we, we appreciate your time today. Uh, any questions you do have about your business growth, uh, in terms of just how you can more smartly operate it. We have Viserys reps across the country, uh, who are ready to help you grow your business and extend your reach into new services and partnerships and really continue to provide you uh, the platform for you to see that happen. Dan, thanks again for your time and uh, we'll wish you a good rest of the week. You bet. It was uh, a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Pest Web Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then head over to Spotify, iTunes, or any other major podcast platform. Write us a review and subscribe today. And don't forget to share this podcast with other pest control professionals. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.